Hello and welcome to the Almost LA Podcast. My name is Aiden the Sun. My name is Audra the Mom. There you go. This is a weekly podcast about Los Angeles' history and music. Hopefully weekly if we can fix these audio issues. Ooh, the audio issues. Uh, yes. This is way harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> it is way harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> Recording audio doesn't seem that hard, but it's very hard. It is very hard. All right, yeah. so I have a correction from Phil Spector. His house is in Alhambra, not mm-hmm. La Hambra. Right. There's an A there. So there you go. So, so it is Alhambra. Alhambra. I hope we're pronouncing that right, because then we'll have to do a double... I'm absolutely Correction. not pronouncing it right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but well, that's that's how it looks, at least. I'm phonetically pronouncing it. Maybe Alhambra. we should say, I have, a, I have a correction from last week. This word actually looks like Alhambra, but mm-hmm. I was saying La Hambra. La Hambra. I was doing right. La 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 Hambra. Now we're just being punchy because we've done this 400 times already. Right. Now, now we're overtired. <laughs> Okay, this week, because you wanted to talk about the Viper Room, we are going to talk about the Viper Room and River Phoenix and his band, Alaka's Attic. Okay. Okay, River Phoenix was born River Jude Bottom on August 23rd, 1970, um, on his parents, John and Arlene's, I think it's Arlen's farm in Madras, Oregon, or Madras. I'll have a corrections about that next week. <laughs> yeah. At least you said both of them this time. <laughs> All right. When he was two, they joined the uh, Children of God Christian movement that turned into a cult. Bad and, idea. and lived in Texas, Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Venezuela, among probably other places. His sister, Rain, was born in 1972. Shout out, 72. And brother, Joaquin, Liberty, and Summer followed. Uh, River learned to play guitar and sing at a very young age. Him and his sister busked, him, him and Rain specifically, busked on this, busked, busked, busked. Husked. <laughs> husked corn. corn. And then corn. busked music. For music, right. On the streets of Latin America mm-hmm. to make ends meet. Um, they were about five and three respectively at the time they were doing this. Can you imagine a five-year-old and a three-year-old having, first of all, having the maturity to busk on the street and sit still and play music and get money for it. Right. Because every three- and five-year-old I know runs around like a maniac in the streets. <laughs> that must be ne- out of necessity. Maybe. I guess. And having necessity when you're five. That sucks. <laughs> right. I guess you're when you're really hungry, you'll get your shit together and busk on the street. <laughs> yeah, no matter how old you are. Right. Exactly. Food is food. Uh, River was a devout vegan by the age of eight. Um, there was a story that he, once he found out how people got their meat he was horrified and disgusted and supported many animal rights groups like PETA and a bunch of environmental organizations like Earth Save and he was awarded PETA's humanitarian award in 1992 for his fundraising efforts look at that he's smarter than the president at age eight <laughs> he really was <laughs> smarter than most people at age eight it sounds like yeah um you know and of course at the time that was kind of unheard of and you know, coming off the 80s and all the excess and me, me, me kind of thing. And, uh, you know, people thought it was a little strange. And when you would, I was listening, re- watching some like documentaries and people like interviewing him, the interviews of him sound so backwards and so idiotic back then, the questions they were asking. And it's like, you can tell he, 
to me, it sounds like he is like, I'm so over getting these questions asked. It's just, you know, to him, it's like, this makes sense. We're killing the planet. We don't need to eat animals ad nauseum like this. We don't need to slaughter thing. You know, it's like, and the journalists are like, so flippant, like, aren't you kooky kind of thing. It's almost annoying because now it, we're all kind of following that whole thing. Well, at least in California, I guess. Especially in LA. Especially in LA. Everybody's vegan. Um, his parents were missionaries for the Children of God cult, um, which is a very well-known, disturbing cult that got worse and worse and worse the longer it was around. Um, his father, John, was a the church archbishop for the Venezuela um, and the Caribbean islands. If you listen to a podcast called Last Podcast on the Left, um, they go kind of deep dives into these cults and all kinds of other cool stuff. And if you want to hear anything about that, I would suggest listening to that. It's probably a a couple parter because it's so long and they go into the horrible history of this cult and all the awful practices that went on there. It's very disturbing. Um, It's a very infamous kind of cult. Mm I'm only going to mention this because River mentioned it in a details uh, magazine interview at one point, and it was kind of well known that they indoctrinated their children at a very young age into sexual practices. And uh, some say by the age of four, they were encouraged to sleep with their parents while their parents were like having sex. And then also kids were um, encouraged to do like sexual play very young. And in this details magazine um on November, a November 1991 issue, he states that he'd had sex at age four with other kids um, mm. in the cult. And because of that, I think when they got out of that, he was celibate from 10 to 14, probably trying to get some kind of, you know, self-grounding back or childhood back, I would assume. His parents, obviously becoming disillusioned with this whole thing, left the cult in um, 1977, 78, somewhere around there. Um, because it was getting increasingly bizarro and the damaging practices of everything had them kind of take off. They got help from a local Christian pastor in Venezuela named Stephen Wood, and he helped them kind of get out of there by allowing Rain and uh, River to sing on Sunday services in exchange for room and board. Uh, Father Wood claimed that River sang songs, specifically a song called You've Gotta Be a Baby, which is a very bizarre Christian song title. He sang it in Spanish, French, Japanese, and Swahili, which is very impressive for a young kid. Um, After a couple of months, the family got on a cargo ship and settled in Florida. Uh, The family then changed their name from Bottom to Phoenix to symbolize their rebirth from the ashes. You know, it is symbolic Phoenix way. Rain and River won a ton of talent shows around the area in Florida back in the day. And the story goes, they received a letter from Paramount Pictures that if they were ever in Hollywood, they should come by for an audition. So the family packed up their, I'm picturing their, you know, wood paneled station wagon. (laughs) Right. Um, Because what else would it be? Their weird commune pants. Yep. And all their flowy, hippie clothes. And their, and their guitars, cool right. happy as can be, away from the cult. And they went out to L.A. And I guess Paramount passed for whatever reason. It doesn't say what the audition was, what specifically they did, but they passed. And their mom ended up getting a temp job at NBC. 
and eventually got an agent for all of the kids. River um, and Rain, she went by Rainbow sometimes, they ended up doing audience warm-ups for certain TV shows. One of them specifically was called Real Kids, which I vaguely remember as a kid. Um, and then his musical talent landed him a role for 22 episodes of the TV series Seven Brides and Seven Brothers, which I vaguely remember as well. He did a lot of commercial work. Um, I remember him from Family Ties, which I watched religiously. And he ended up, you know, doing a movie called Stand By Me, which everybody knows. I've seen that. 1986. Great movie. Great movie. And yep. that kind of thrust him into the teen heartthrob situation. Um, which everyone my age wanted to marry him at the time. And he was os- he was nominated for an Oscar for the movie Running on Empty. That was in ni- that 1988 one. that came out. I haven't seen that one either. A lot of these What's movies, I, Running on Empty. And I don't know who won that year, but he was nominated. So with all this movie success, he always had this passion for music. Because um, because mu- movies paid the bills, he was basically the breadwinner of this family of you know his parents and these five kids, and he was the breadwinner. Um, so I think he felt a lot of pressure, and and so he kept making movies and and but doing music always on the side, and writing songs and playing his guitar. At seventeen, the family moved back to Gainesville, Florida, and bought a farm. Um, he had an ovation guitar, according when to he, his... When he was 17? When he was 17, they all kind oh, of packed okay. up from L.A. and moved back to Florida. He was kind of a big star at that point, so he was yeah. based in Florida, and then he would go off and do, like, movie shoots and stuff still. But the family kind of wanted to get out of L.A. because I think at that point there were still... There was a few interviews that I saw that he was... The, you know, they didn't really love the L.A. scene, that they kind of thought it was toxic, and which ended up being true for him. Well, yeah, I mean, it, if you go from a, from a cult... In where Venezuela mm-hmm. to Gainesville, Florida, and then to LA, it's kind of like yeah, different worlds. Yeah, and in Gainesville, back in like the '80s, there was like this punk, there's post-punk, like thriving kind of scene going on at the time, and it was apparently well known for the music scene out there in the mid '80s, late '80s, which I didn't know that was a thing in Gainesville, Florida, but apparently it was. Um. In 1988, he formed Alaka's Attic with his sister, Rain. And here's a quote from River about the naming of this band, why it's called Alaka's Attic. He says, quote, Alaka is a functional poet philosopher who gathered friends in his attic to discuss his ideas. When Alaka dies, they form a band to share his beliefs with, uh, with others through music, end quote. Which is kind of eerie and prophetic if you think about what he's saying because it sounds like they're kind of talking about him like he's Alaka in a way to me at least mm-hmm. and it's weird right. so they went on like a two-week east coast tour at, at one point and then in 1988 they were offered a two-year development deal with island records and this is after island records heard a song that he wrote for one of his other films called a night in the life of jimmy reardon they kind of dug his songs. They were like, hey, let's give this kid a chance. They put together, If the terms were like, if they put a good demo together, the Island Records would finance a whole f- album for them. Unfortunately, due to River's shooting schedule, the demo never was finished, and Island backed out of the deal at one point. So River decided to kind of move on with the record independently, 
and finance it and record everything himself. Um, the original members of the band were River, who did the guitar and vocals. Rain did vocals, percussion, and tambourine. Josh McKay was on bass. Another Josh, Josh Greenbaum, did drums. And then Hank, or sorry, Tim Hankins, 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 Hankins. Another corrections from... uh, (laughs) Another correction. It looks like... Sorry, we pronounced the... (laughs) He did viola, Tim Hankins. Uh And then another member, a former member, was Sasha Raphael. And I didn't really get a, a vibe of what he did. Um, he just kind of was there. It just said former member. I know they had at some point, um, you know, his friends would kind of fill in sometimes or here and there. They did a lot of benefit concerts for various organizations like PETA and, and like, you know, um, you know, stuff like that, that they were passionate about. So that was kind of their main, the main gig was doing these like benefit things. So in 1990, on this set of My Own Private Idaho, which was a huge kind of film departure for him where he was, instead of playing these kind of heart throbby, you know, characters, good looking kid, you know, whatever he was playing, these, you know, this movie was about uh, Portland's um, like street kids who were turning tricks basically for heroin. And Flea was in that movie, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They became instant friends, spent all their time together playing music. And according to... Some people on the on set and with the film, this is kind of when Rivers' drug use kind of started spiraling. Um, it was a very heavy movie. It was heavy subject, and he was kind of a method e actor, I guess you would call him. He would get very in, you know deep into research, and he would go out and they would bring these street kids back to like his hotel room and they would interview him and he would try to get really in their heads of like, okay, so what would you do next? You this guy will come up to you and he'll ask you for sex to get money, you know, hair money for, so you can get money for heroin. Right. And you know, he would have this whole thing going on. So he was mm-hmm. very into getting this role, right. And I think there was kind of a blurred lines of, you know, what was going on there, which kind of sent him in a spiral. And according to people that were on the set, there was a lot of drug use going on, a lot of pills, a lot of cocaine. If, do you think flea got him into drugs? Are you trying to incriminate me on something? <laughs> I'm not trying to incriminate you on something. I'm just saying, like, did, um, did, did, is there any record of him using drugs before this movie? Yeah, because I think I'm he sure was. Flea I think was using drugs at that time. Oh, I'm sure, <laughs> I mean, and I'm sure it sounds. It sounds like you know, of course. And you got to keep in mind, this is all people around him, people that loved him and cared about him. These are friends talking about him, but it's also like he's not here to defend himself. So I don't want to be like, yeah, he was a crazy heroin addict. You know, I, I, it sounds like he was dabbling in stuff. It sounds like he was smoking pot or maybe doing some drugs or drinking. You know, but it sounds like when he was on set, he was very professional and he was sober, you know, when he was shooting films and then maybe he'd kind of go on these benders with his friends, you know, just like any other normal, you know, oh, okay, right. teenager kind of was. But it seemed like this movie the addiction set, started. I think like the, the heavy addiction probably started. I think the heavy time. kind of like, you know, addiction and the weird stuff kind of started, sounded like kind of taking a turn on this movie, unfortunately. Um. You know, the the one of the guys on this documentary, I watched this show called Final 24, which kind of ticks down like the final 24 hours of his life. Um, and this guy, Matt Ebert, who is a production assistant um, on My Own Private Idaho, said that, you know, he was at times in pretty bad shape on certain movies after this 
you know, uh, a My Own Private Idaho thing and that he kind of needed someone to chaperone him. Um, somebody else claimed that they saw him and uh, a, a journalist, this uh, woman journalist that was on the show as well. She claimed that she saw him at Whiskey A Go Go and he was like face down somewhere in the corner and people just kept walking over him. And she's like, who's the hot guy in the corner? And they're like, oh, that's River Phoenix. And she was like shocked because he was, I think back then too, people were like, he's a, he's a vegan. He's loves animals. He's this hippie kooky guy. So why is he like poisoning himself and freaking out? And they couldn't separate the fact that just because you're a vegan doesn't mean you, you can't also be addicted to something, you know, just because yeah. you won't eat meat doesn't mean you won't drink yeah, plus a ton. It sounds like he was, he was very, very big on the animal rights part of it. So you can for sure like animals, but then be addicted to drugs and kill your own body. Well, you of course. I mean, it's not necessarily 100% a health. Well, thing. that's what addiction is. And you can have sympathy yeah. for other things and then abuse yourself. Absolutely. Especially well, if you Addiction have... is going to be more important than your veganism as well. If you're, an, if you're addicted to heroin or something. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think that, you know, he was trying to protect his image. I think his publicist was protecting his image. And, you know, no one's going to be like, well, yeah, Phoenix is a raging heroin addict. They're going to be like, no, he is a great guy. He's awesome. He's talented. He's a genius. You know, whatever. So anyway. Um... So let's move on to the last day of his life um, to get us to the Viper Room, which unfortunately he is now always connected to. Actually, let me go back and play. I want to play you a song. I want to play you him singing in his Alaco's Attic Band because I think Uh, that it's important to hear his voice. So this is... um, This is the... Song. It's a song called In the Corner Dunce. And it's Alaka's Attic and it's River Singing. After everyone screams for him. Hold on. River Phoenix. Pretty unique. That's cool. That's cool. It's like a very 90s feel to it, for sure. Especially with the girls screaming. <laughs> River Phoenix. I didn't want to tell you, but that was me. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. So, on Saturday, October 30th, 1993, uh, River was back in L.A. after shooting for two months in Utah, uh, a movie called Dark Blood. And he was sober the whole time, apparently, when he was on set in Utah. And he got back to L.A. to finish some final scenes. One of them, specifically this love scene that he was doing with his his co-star, her name was Judy Davis, who was apparently notoriously difficult and did not like River for whatever reason. And there was kind of blatant hostility on set between her and him, which was kind of depressing him and making him uncomfortable. So he was putting off this scene with her 
uh, he had really idolized her and was excited to do the movie with her because she was a very accomplished British actress and, you know, awards and highly regarded. And I think he was very bummed out, you know, when he met her and got on set that she had this kind of hostility towards him for one, whatever reason or another. I have no idea. The director, Probably, yeah. who I'm going to butcher this name a million times, uh, his last name is Schluzer. Sluzier? Sluzier. Slushier. <laughs> S-L-U-I-Z-E-R. And I'm not going to say it again. He's the director of Dark Blood. He said in the 40 years of him being in the business, she was hands down the most difficult person he'd worked with. Um, so they got back to L.A. They had been, you know, shooting and they were 80 percent done with the film, got back doing these last few scenes. And on this day, they finally had to do this love scene and it was went horribly wrong. The director said that the whole day River seemed off, like he was kind of recovering from a hangover. He said, quote, that his his was seemed he couldn't judge, quote, judge, judge dis, distances like his, you know, he was just kind of off. Then he wasn't acting right like he normally would. So he assumed that he was kind of hungover throughout the thing. Now, cut to after the day of shooting and he gets back to his hotel with a bunch of his friends, his personal assistant, his girlfriend, Samantha Mathis, and then uh, Joaquin, his brother, and Rain, his sister, had flown in to hang out with him and kind of have a mini family reunion. They all said he was in high spirits, didn't seem stressed, was doing great. Uh, they were all going to put, you know, hang out and, and he kind of at the last minute, it seemed like to Samantha Mathis, his girlfriend, who just kind of started talking about this last year. She hasn't really talked about, um, that night. It was very traumatizing as you can imagine. Um, she said that he was like, Hey, we're just going to swing by the Viper room. A bunch of my friends are playing and I'm going to jam with them and then we'll go home or we're out of here. We're out of there. It's just gonna be quick. Do you mind? She's like, sure. Why not? Let's go. But she wasn't super psyched, but that's what they ended up doing that night playing was uh johnny depp's band johnny depp was a co-owner of the viper room at the time he was playing with his band flea was there uh playing uh al jorgensen of ministry was there gibby haynes of the butthole surfers um and according to other accounts many other people for people that were there they said there was a ton of drugs flowing through there that night you could get anything you wanted. It was cram packed with musicians and just celebrities and, you know, just a whole scene was going on that night. So he gets there and they get a table in the back and it's just uh, Joaquin, Rain, River and Samantha, the four of them, they get a table and then uh, River takes his guitar and goes up on stage to kind of get up there and be like, all right, I'm ready to go. And Flea kind of takes him to the side and he's like, hey man, it's, super crowded up here we're not gonna be able to let you have some jam time tonight and he gets super disappointed and by some accounts he was like i'm gonna go just get high at this point uh, and some people said he went to the bathroom and scored a bunch of drugs and some people went back some people said he went back to his table and somebody gave him a mixture and a drink um, at his table. So there's either a story of he went to the bathroom, scored a speedball, which is Coke and heroin, and took the speedball in the bathroom. And then some people said he, he got somebody gave him a drink with a speedball in it at his um, table with his friends and he drank the speedball. 
Now, according to the homicide detective, Mike Lee of the LAPD, who ended up investigating this, he said that he was in the bathroom and that he snorted this thing because apparently the autopsy showed there was nothing in his stomach that was drug-related. Um, and he said that it almost immediately River knew that he had OD'd. He was uh, quoted as saying, too much, too much, um, you know, something to that effect of it was too much, help me kind of thing. Um, and then he kind of floundered about the bar for a little bit, made it back to the table, and somewhere along the line, somebody gave him a Valium because his heart was racing so much, and he was freaking out apparently so much. They gave him a Valium to kind of chase everything down and make everything slow down, which I'm sure didn't help anything because now your heart is like, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed yeah, to freak out or am I supposed to calm cool. down? You know, um, and coming off this dry spell did not ha- help because, as you know, we've celebrities have done this before. They get clean, they try to get you know go back into what the uh, doses they were doing before, and they immediately OD because it's too much. Um, so his brother and sister and his girlfriend immediately, you know, are kind of like, "What's going on?" Samantha said that she you know, in this interview that she just did a little while ago on the 25th anniversary of his death said that she was quote uncomfortable with how high he was. Um, so he started, he started convulsing and having seizures and they dragged him out to the front of the Viper room out the front door on the sidewalk. And, uh, I think for a little bit, they didn't know what to do. Some accounts say in the autopsy as kind of make an assumption that he was maybe seizing for about 25 minutes, which is a very long time. And you got to remember Joaquin was like 19 river was probably, or I'm sorry, rain river was 23 rain was 21. You know, these are kids and Samantha Mathis was 23 at the time. They didn't really know what to do. Um, and finally Joaquin called 911 and there's a, you know, horrible 911 call. You can get on YouTube, unfortunately, because I don't know why these make these 911 calls public. Uh, it's horrific. You, it's, you, I think it's an invasion of, well, I think it's an invasion of privacy. It is I don't an know, invasion of privacy, but you know, I don't know why they do sh- it. We're shouting it out too. So, um, well, yeah, so don't go look at it. Don't, don't, <laughs> Never <laughs> don't mind. ignore the, what I just said, <laughs> Don't listen <laughs> to the call. but it's heartbreaking anyway. Yeah, um, terrible. and by the parent, by the time the paramedics showed up, he had no pulse and very shallow breathing, and he died at 1.51 a.m. on October 31st. So when you, if you Google this and want to read more about this, you know, you'll hear a lot of accounts saying that he died Halloween night. Um, and there's all these claims that he went to a party, and there's a costume party, and there's claims that there was people walking around in costumes around him. You know, I don't know how much this has kind of been, you know, um, blustered about about this halloween thing you know the fact was it was he was he was working all day on the 30th and he was out the, the night of the 30th and ended up passing away early morning halloween morning october 31st so i'm taking kind of the costumes and all that kind of stuff the grain of salt unless people were just out you know being freaky free, being freaky before. the day before so at the time of his death um alica's attic was working on an album and Obviously, the project was never completed. Uh, the The album would have been called Never Odd or Even or Zero. That was the working title. Rain worked on the album for about two years, but because of communication issues and possibly release contract issues, sounds like some of the guys wanted to 
release the music no matter what and could care less if they got a dime and maybe some of the guys were holding out for some money and you know whatever but for whatever reason it was shelved and then in 1997 Michael Stipe of REM who was a friend of Rivers bought the rights to all of Alaka Attic's material from Island Records in 1996 they did a benefit album titled uh, In Defense of Animals Volume 2 which had an Alaka's Attic song on it called Note to a Friend and just recently, as of last week, on February 13th, Rain released her debut so- solo song featuring Michael Stipe called Time is a Killer. And along with these, uh, this song with Michael Stipe, she released two songs of Alaka's Attic that had never been released before. One is called Where I'd Gone, and the other one is called Scales and Fishnails. Um... She released a statement with the tracks saying, quote, it's so hard to believe he's gone, been gone for 25 years. It really made me think about the construct of time, how we create it to make sense of things and how, especially with grief, it never really snaps to a grid. That said, a quarter of a century has a definite weight to it. And I felt compelled and guided to share River, the musician, with the world. So that is that. I'm going to play you. Rain song with Michael Stipe because I think it is badass. Here is Time is a Killer. Everybody's dying to know where we go. There you go. Awesome. That's I love that really song. I have song, listened to that yeah. song. That's probably one of the first songs in a long time that I've listened to a mil- a, probably about 15 times since got, two days ago when I discovered it. <laughs> it's got great, great lyrics, obviously. and Yeah, it's very haunting. It's, uh, She's got a yeah. beautiful voice. It's, it's old school, cool. though, too. It's unique and old school at the same time. Yeah, it's I like got it. That, that raw feeling where you can really hear all the everything that's going on. Yeah. I like it a lot. So that is the tragic story of river phoenix but also trying to celebrate him as a musician on there because i think he would have really dug what his sister's doing right now and you know i think it's it was obviously i think his first love so that's kind of cool yeah i mean i'm sure he would also love for people to donate to organizations like PETA. um learn what you're putting in your body as well as save or earth save which is another organization he gave to oh you know what and let me give you this his mom if you want to donate to something his mom started a um a uh organization called hold on let me get to it the river phoenix center for peace building 
And what they do, from what I could gather, is that, and this is in Gainesville, Florida, they do a bunch of different things, um, but it seems like community out, and please correct me if I'm wrong, if anybody hears this, community outreach, kind of working with the community and the police forces in different, um, uh, you know, police force and stuff like that in the area to kind of bridge the gap between all the violence and miscommunication and whatever else is going on. It sounds like they do classes and they do fundraising and his mom, um, is the president of it. I know reigns on the board of directors and everything's kind of in river's name to kind of spread peace and understanding throughout the community. And it's a pretty new as of maybe, I don't know, five, six years, maybe a little bit longer. Uh, they kind of started it and it's really taken off and she's got this beautiful page, you know, celebrating river Phoenix on the website and some pictures of him playing music with her. And, um, here, I'll give you a quote from river that's on here. It says, when I was old enough to realize that all meat was killed, I saw it as an irrational way of using our power to take weaker thing and manipulate it. It was like the way bullies would take control of younger kids in the schoolyard. Uh-huh. Yeah, there so there's go. a lot of different quotes, you know, from him and his viewpoint, you know, on here. So it's really cool. So if you are looking to do that, then uh, it's called, again, River Phoenix Center for Peace Building. There you go. There you go. He seems like a very talented you dug artistic. Him. I would have dug him. We would have probably been best friends, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, all these guys that are... Well, if things just... would have gone right, I would have married him and he'd be your dad. So just, you well, know, <laughs> yeah, I guess. sorry. Sorry that that didn't happen. That maybe would have been less cool, but, but probably um, for me, not for you. Right. <laughs> Very cool for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. I mean, just like these artistic guys that have so much creativity, so much, such a such a powerful brain, mm-hmm. and and so much potential, but also such a dark side that comes with being an artist. Yes. That yep. mixed with the, the, the fact that fame and, and, and fortune and all this doesn't, doesn't pair well with being such an, a, a true artist. Mm-hmm. And that being the downfall of so many young boys and girls well, I that think these people really are. I think it's definitely a conflicting atmosphere when you're yeah. you know, in a, a power hungry LA with people trying to make money and you're just an artist trying to get your stuff out there. And uh, you know, it's, it's conflicting. And when you're young, it just, it's hard to navigate what's right, what's wrong and who you are. I think when you're bombarded with all this stuff at a young age. So it's weird to take to me, like the true art and that's a very general term Mm -hmm. is, is not necessarily the most popular stuff or the stuff that you hear the most of. There's plenty of true art in obscure, like, bars and clubs or just somebody that you wouldn't even think of walking down the street. Mm-hmm. Those, those, are, those are kind of, that's where true art is at. Take the, the concept of taking, like, an artist and then making them wildly successful is very weird. weird. And it's almost like, it almost cancels out. It, like, it shouldn't really... Yeah, it's well, it's, you know, when you, the director that was talking about him, you know, said that there was like a light in him and like a kind of an aura about him when you met him, even as a child, you know, that I think people see those things and I'm sure other people call it the it factor or whatever it is. 
and to take that light and then exploit it. Yeah. Um, and then basically crush that person's light is probably why a lot of people turn to drugs or turn to, you know, things that aren't healthy because it's confusing and, and you are now sending mixed messages to yourself. You're like, I'm trying to save the planet and I'm trying to, you know, help animals, but these other people are taking advantage of you in turn. It's just a yeah. very, very fucked up thing. So I guess the lesson we learned from today's episode is to keep your art for yourself, do what makes you happy, and don't exploit other people's art and light because yep. that is a negative thing. Any exploitation. Yeah, exactly. Animals, sad. people, anything. All right. Well, let's move on to the Viper Room. That will be our building of the week. Building of the week. With our theme. The Viper Room is located at 8852 Sunset Boulevard. And the building dates back to 1921 and is actually the, one of the oldest buildings on the, sun, on the strip right now. It was originally a grocery store called Young's Market, serving the small village of Sherman, which would eventually be called West Hollywood. Uh, in 1947, mobster Mickey Cohen took Young's Market and turned it into the Cotton Club, which was a famous jazz club at the time, and he ran his mob affairs out of the basement. So um, mob affairs meeting racketeering, probably murder, gambling. <laughs> Torturing. Affairs that are not cool. Um, by 1950, the club rebranded a couple times and opened as a strip club after a damaging fire. And the oh. strip club was called The Last Call. Last Call Strip Club. It boasted five hours of continuous entertainment. That's quote unquote. Entertain. I did that because entertainment, whatever. Um, much, a night in which much, it w- that's too much entertainment. Too much. <laughs> you, if you're that entertained for that long, you got a real problem. Yeah, you got a problem. It was shut down in 1951 when the city banned lewd dancing and cross dressing. Hmm. I wonder if that's still in place. We should see if that ban is still in place. Well, it's certainly not enforced. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but um. Two months later, it became the Melody Room, which was another long-term club there, well-renowned for jazz from 1951 to 1969. And that was actually the last jazz club before it became known for its rock and roll. Rock and roll lifestyle. In the 70s, it was called Filthy McNasties, (laughs) which we had a big fun time with earlier, thinking uh, obviously the strip club should have been Filthy McNasties, but... right. But it, so when what year was it called the Melody Room or whatever it was? The Melody Room was in the fifty one to sixty nine. Yeah. It when it was a strip club, it was called the Last Call. Right. But it should have been Filthy McNasties. That's funny that it's the Melody Room in the fifties, all jazzy, and then the second it's about to be the seventies, it turns to Filthy McNasty. Yeah, because everyone was more funny because they had bell bottoms it on. To, and... It turned to Filthy McNasty in sixty nine. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> you. T- Wait, I don't know what that means. What do you mean? I'm just kidding. Oh, I was, I was like, la 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 la. You're my kid. Stop it. <laughs> it's a what do you mean? Just, I don't it's, know. It's just a number. It, it's just a number. Uh, one of the famous people that went to Filthy McNasty's was none other than Evil Knievel, which makes perfect sense to me. Um, in the 80s, it was called The Central, and the Who's Who's John N. Whistle. Mitch Mitchell of the Jimi Hendrix Experience and C.C. DeVille before Poison 
they emphasized before poison, okay. which I thought was funny because it was like, why wouldn't he have gone there after he was in poison? He got too big. I guess. Too big for the central. Yeah. Um, then it, on August 14th, 1993, it became the Viper Room. So that means it opened in August and then Johnny, or Johnny Depp, uh, with Johnny Depp co-owning it. Um, and then, you know, a f- what, three months later, River Phoenix died in front of it, which is terrible. Oh, wow. I, had, I actually didn't realize that timeline. Yeah. It opened in August 14th, Jesus. 1993, and then River Phoenix passed away on the, the morning of the 31st that same year. And then, heartbreakingly, uh, Kurt Cobain died shortly after that. And yeah, my, for real. Jesus. My college... Your world is shattered. My college world shattered. I cried in my room for 400 years, and nothing's been the same since. And then years later, I cried. <laughs> That's right. For no reason. Uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers played Just opening night. Just to clarify, sorry, I like. I, I very much enjoy Nirvana. That's why that I said. I that. do too. Um, I I liked it first, by the way. Yeah. Whatever. Um, Hipster. Exactly. Um, on the faith fateful night that River died, John, what's his name? John Frusciante. Uh, John, John Frusciante. John Frusciante. I don't know why I can't say the name. <laughs> he he played a disastrous set. Um, with Flea cheering him on from the sidelines, and he threw up on stage. It's a, it's a legendary disastrous set, and then he repeated that disastrous set in 1997, doing the exact same thing. Uh, in 1999, Johnny Depp uh, was in a multi-million dollar lawsuit filed by his business partner, Anthony Fox. Fox claimed Depp and four others were conspiring to commit fraud and divert millions away from the club, and in late 2001, Fox mysteriously disappeared. His pickup, 38 caliber rifle, uh, were found 19 days later after he, and then, you know, after he went missing. His body has never been found. And Johnny Depp ended up settling the suit in 2004 and turned over his share of the Viper Room to his daughter, Fox's daughter. That's shady as fuck. I'm wouldn't it be right crazy? Wouldn't it be crazy if, like, in like a few years? everything from that is uncovered and we find out that Johnny Depp straight up like had somebody murdered and it's just out in the open and like everybody knows it even though the statute of limitations on that is probably it's not no there's no statute of limitations on murder there isn't Mm-mm. well but, nope. but at a certain nope. point I mean I feel like they don't pursue nope. legal action nope if they find a body or they find new information they'll reopen the case it's probably a cold case wow. and they'll reopen the case Maybe not for Johnny Depp, though. They'll be like, eh, whatever. I don't know. The way his life is going. Yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't have enough money for a lawyer. Oof. God. I don't want to talk. I feel skeevy talking about it because I feel like I'm going to mysteriously disappear. Shh. <laughs> I'm Johnny Depp. I'm going to come kill you. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> so in the early 2000s, Molly Bloom, also known as the Poker Princess, um, started poker games in the Viper Room. There was a famous movie a couple years ago called uh, Molly's Games about this whole thing based on her memoir uh, called Molly's Games. And she kind of outed a bunch of famous celebrities, Tobey Maguire to be specific, Ben Affleck, Leonardo DiCaprio, Alex Rodriguez, um, among a bunch of other people who she's not naming. Um, But they were part of this underground game that had a $10,000 buy-in. I think it eventually went up to like 50 grand or something crazy. The, the longer it went on and the bigger it got. 
the games got so big, she once saw someone lose $100 million in one night. And the guy was able to pay it off the next day. So clearly there was like, I just, by the way, we're Skyping. I just saw a ghost orb fly across your head. No, that was a bug that I'm looking at. That was? Oh, too bad. Yeah. Um, it would have been cool if you'd been like, yeah, that was a ghost. Yeah, that was Johnny Depp. <laughs> the ghost he's of literally, a, he's a fly on the wall. He's going to come murder us now. It's just his liver from all the drinking. The ghost of Johnny <laughs> Depp's just, liver. His j- liver's really small. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was crazy. So, unfortunately, this legendary building was sold off uh, at the end of 2018. Uh, The Viper Room plus four properties were sold kind of as a bundle package for $80 million. And at at, uh, at this time, I'm trying to say, there is no development plan in place, but people are speculating that it could be turned into a luxury apartments, or something like that. So uh, this legendary building that has a ton of history is not going to be there much longer. So if you want your Viper Room t-shirt or to go hear some cool bands, uh, I suggest going as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's the Viper Room. There you go. The Viper Room. Legendary spot. Legendary spot. Now, I had a rickety ricker pulled up. But I'm going to have to find it really quick. So why don't you tell me... Yep. What you're doing. Right now. We could talk about our weekend. I just visited you. I literally left there this oh, yeah. morning. Right. And I saw you. We actually tried to record this together and it did not work out. So we have yeah, to Yeah, we re- tried to record but we had some echoey audio issues. Yeah. Uh we tried to fix but couldn't, so we're re recording. So I, I I most of the knowledge that was just dropped by mother I had already heard. But uh, still, it was all very fascinating. And it's more sad when you hear it the second time around for some yeah. reason. It, it, then it really hits home and you realize, like, the weight of him being 23. Yeah. And then just, like, being sad because he couldn't play music for just one night. Music could have brought him joy and saved his life, but instead he couldn't play, so he died. I know. Like, I don't honestly, know why, if, they were, if he, why were they he, such dicks and didn't let him on stage. They probably weird. weren't even dicks. They were just like, bro, you can't play. And he's already probably messed up at that point. So he's like, oh, you know what I mean? I don't know. It sounded like he was fine. I think he just, I think he was just like, screw this. I'll just go get, you know. Yeah. Well, whatever. especially if you're at those, like a party like that and there's drugs like going around and it's so easy to get. That's just, that's pretty scary. Well, I can tell you're haunted by it because it's, an, it made me cry and I now makes me want to barf. Yeah. Um, I'm more meant to talk about us going to Flappers and seeing mm-hmm. Tiffany Haddish, a surprise comic, come up. Yeah, that was cool. And she bitched out some girl man who was recording her oh, yeah, set. I, I knew you were going to want to talk about this. You and loved that. Snapchat Model 18. Did no, you find that on Snapchat? I wouldn't give her Snapchat out. Why not? Tiffany Haddish did. She was going to follow her and like she yeah. was the, she it was. It was not very it, awkward, and it but was it was model also eight, it awesome. It was Model 18 with different characters, so it's not Model 18. Whatever. <laughs> no, yeah. So what did she say? She had so she t- so she talked about a night that she had on like last year on on uh, New Year's, right? Yeah, she, she had was a... gonna play on New Year's. She's gonna play like five thousand people. She got super messed up the night before because her friends convinced her to go out drinking at a club. Uh, so she got on stage. And was so hungover that she just I get I haven't I don't know what it was in the video, but she must have just bombed or something or looked terrible because she said she saw a bunch of phone lights go up and it was all over the news, whatever. So yeah. she 
basically has PTSD from people filming her while she's performing. Somebody pulled out their phone, was recording her on Snapchat, and she said she basically just stopped what she was saying and immediately called the person out, got her phone as out. She, as and she looked should her, She looked at the person dead in the eyes, was like, what's your Snapchat? And then she's like, <laughs> she was basically got, like, you think I'm messing around, huh? It got and really it got uncomfortable. Real quiet. It got real quiet because it seemed like she was just joking. And then she said something. What did she say when she got real serious? She said, like, you think I'm joking, huh, or something. And, she's like, got like, her what? phone out and, like, like stopped and, like, looked at the person. And we were like, oh. Because <laughs> she, she wouldn't give up her Snapchat name, yeah. like, her handle or whatever it's called. And she kept, she, like, wouldn't go on until the girl gave it to her. So the girl gave it to her. And then she's like, you think I'm kidding. Don't block me. I'm yeah. going to basically call you out on this shit because you just posted, you know, something about my set. And I'm trying to work out material for my next thing. Right. And she then she said, and then she said, what do you do for a job? And then the girl was like, I, I'm actually a model. So first of all, that's the LA lie. She's probably not a model. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm, probably you're, not. You're already on to that? Plus, it would be the, the, the low-key model that films the comedy set. Da, 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 da. Makes perfect sense. I guess. The whole thing made perfect sense. Yeah. I like I when people know. mess with comedians. It's just don't do it, man. No, well, don't record somebody. It's just etiquette. Don't record somebody, you know, like, if it's a music thing, I get. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if it's somebody's comedy set, don't record it. A, you're, you know, you're ruining it for somebody else. If you're not smart enough to know they're, like, working out material or, you know, that they don't do it night after night for other people, then you're an idiot. So it's like, what do you... And I know it's just a clip, so people are probably like, oh, it's just two seconds, whatever. But it's just, it's just a... It's like all, like, decorum has gone out the window at some point. It's like, just put your fucking phone away. God, I'm yeah. swearing a lot. Okay. You all right, you to, ready yeah, for... Sorry, Nana. Nana, like this, though. You have to treat your phone as if, as if basically we're all, like, imagine we're all, like, 75-year-old people, like, our, like, your parents from Iowa, super respectful. Mm-hmm. So just pretend when you have your phone and you're in a setting like that, that you're one of those people. What do you think Nana would do if she had her phone and was in a comedy so- like club? She would not pull her phone out at all until no. she left the building and it's got like, all the you, way home, and then she would check her phone. And it's like, would you, if you were talking to somebody, would you hold up a notebook and start writing on a notebook in front of somebody's face? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, because that would be like, that's weird and rude. It's the same thing. It's just a smaller device. It's going to be funny when we all have like, uh, when we all have our iPhones in our, in our eyes. And they're all like voice enabled, and we somebody just like stands up and says, starts saying "recording" in the middle of somebody's <laughs> comedy set, and we're just like, "Bro, that's weird." Well, that 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 point, are the re, the comedy set will be like beamed into your glasses. Right. You won't also, have to go anywhere. That wouldn't even happen. So it'd be cool if it did. It would. Be okay, cool. are you ready for some Miss Ricker? I'm ready. Okay, teenage male, mm-hmm. rickety Ricker. May 10th, 1959. Favorite person. This is a very, I would say, scandalous headline. Small town faces problem of all night graduation party party orgy. What? (laughs) That was like, I mean, you can't leave orgy for the last word. That's the most important part of the story. What do you mean? What am I supposed to say? Orgy, small town faces problem of all night graduation party? Whoever wrote that headline, I mean. Party orgy, man. Dear Mrs. Ricker. Wow. 
In our community, a problem exists concerning the high school graduating class. Each year on the night of graduation, it is custom for the majority of the group to have an all-night party. This usually ends up in drunkenness, overnight stays in hotels, and naked moonlight swimming parties. Mm-hmm. 1959, keep in mind. The adults in our community... Nana... The adults in our community would like to improve on this situation by giving the graduates an all-night chaperone party, which would hold their interest, and yet not make them feel there is too much of a restraining hand. Mrs. Ricker, do you have any suggestions or material we can use for this project? There are about 20 in the graduating class. A prompt answer will be appreciated so we can start working on plans, Mrs. S.M. Well, Mrs. S. 20 so, in the graduating class. Maybe this is what started your uh, the um, sober night that you had to go to and be locked, mm. in a, locked in a gym. Yeah, that doesn't work, though, because nobody goes sober to sober night. So they show up drunk, and do they bring stuff in? Of course. Do you get in tr- do, have people gotten busted? Did people get busted on your sober night? Uh, I don't think anybody it? got busted. Mm, maybe. I don't think so, though. Do they, they don't check your bags or anything? Nah. But at least it keeps you from driving around town like idiots because a lot of de- there's a very lot of, lot of heartbreaking deaths that happen graduation night, you know, around the country where people get in, you know, accidents and pass away. I don't is- actually remember how my sober night ended. Like, I don't remember if I left early. You can't leave early. You get locked in until 530 in the morning. Yeah, but they're bad at locking people in. You could just like kind of like leave. I'm pretty is- sure I left. What? Did this you distract? Did I drive? I don't know if I stayed the whole time. What? You're in, you're grounded. Well, no. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it wasn't like oh, let's go do something crazy. It was like, all right, well, I've been here for a, a long time. I want to go to a new location where preferably there's a bed that I can sleep in. I'm pretty sure we just mm. went to Daniel's house. Oh, awesome. That makes me not feel good. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm upset. It's I'm right upset. Across we walked there. Okay, well, but, but you were supposed to be, like, signed in and out. Here's how we get on it. Mom has now forgotten that we're recording a podcast. <laughs> I'm so pissed. Her rage is so through the roof that she's forgotten that we are in the middle of a podcast. All right, so what was your thing you were going to say? You're grounded. You're grounded oh, from right. wherever you are and whatever, even though this was almost a year ago. Yeah. Okay, this is what I, what I don't like is this is, okay, I'm just going to say this for all parents. Mm-hmm. I know you're doing dumb shit. I just want to know where you are. Right. And if you're flying off somewhere else and just like not saying it, just be like, hey, I left. I know I wasn't supposed to leave, but here I am. Right. That's all I'm saying. We just want to know where you are. Because if something bad right. happens, we just want to know where you are. Okay. Let's go to Rickety Ricker. I'm visibly upset. I don't know why I'm upset right now. <laughs> yeah. Who, I, I mean, I didn't do anything bad. I know. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> Dear Mrs. SM, yeah. from your description of previous graduation night orgies, first of all, no... Why are they saying is orgies mean something Orgy, different in 1959? I, I, don't know. I, I mean, I feel like maybe we all took words that old people say on purpose and then made them something dirty because we. While I'm reading this, you look up or orgies and see what it is. Because okay, this... no, I, you know what I'm not going to do is look type in orgy into the internet. Thank you. Okay, all right. Well, I'm sure you've done. <laughs> according to you, you've done worse than you do behind my back. So whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, from your description of previous graduation night orgies. Graduation night orgies. It would seem that your small town, less than 1,000 population, must have completely forgotten moral standards somewhere along the way. Ooh, can I get a footloose? A footloose. <laughs> Generally speaking, boys and girls who have had proper training 
all their lives are not going to break out with delinquent behavior overnight just because of graduation. That's not what? true. What? Oh, this is the first right. time. Rickety, he, she's failing. This is her yep. first fail that we've read. I'm not on board with Rickety Ricker on this. Certainly, graduation does not justify a night of wild, immoral behavior, and I am wondering if any legitimate entertainment might be suggested will not seem too tame and on the square side of this group. However, try this, which worked well for some senior high students in one small community. After the graduation exercises were over, the boys and girls met at a prearranged time and place. In this case, it was a village church. (laughs) Sorry. A progressive dinner had a progressive dinner. I don't know what that means. Progressives in quotes had been carefully planned and each course was served in a different home. Ugh. So you're going on like a home dinner. What are they called when you go to like a appetizer here, dessert here, whatever. African safari. African safari. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the youngsters went in groups to each successive home until the dinner reached the dessert course. There's a name for it, and it's I'm drawing a blank. It was a thing back in the day where you like you 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 move a different course at each house. It's a whole thing. An orgy. Yeah, it's it's a food orgy from house <laughs> to house. The family who served dessert also had a large rumpus room where the wandering diners stayed. Where to the eat. wandering people have an orgy. I'm sorry, but everything in this story <laughs> in the is now going room. to be called back to an orgy. They stayed to eat, play games, and dance until 2 a.m. The group was uh-huh. chaperoned, and most of them were ready to go home by that time. I have a booklet called Group Games for Parties. <laughs> oh, my God. Which will be helpful if you need game suggestions. Just send 10 cents in a stamp self-addressed envelope to me with your request. Making, gra- making, making graduations all-night affairs is unnecessary. Uh, going up the column, unnecessary, unnecessary orgy, unnecessary, and is inviting trouble. What legitimate activity can a youngster or an adult, for that matter, get into that will last all night? Wow. All right. I don't agree. I don't agree that you're not good. She failed because her saying like, there's no reason for you to, you know, to have graduation and be like a a full on party blowout. You guys are blowing off steam. You've been in for four years. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the last hurrah. So I don't agree with that. And yes, an all night thing is stupid because nobody wants to do anything all night. Nothing good happens after midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And you can just have a good time and go home. So. so, back to orgies. An orgy <laughs> is a wild party, especially one involving excessive drinking and unrestrained sexual activity. Uh, excessive indulgence in a, spe- in a spe- specified activity. So it's basically just... Free-for-all. It's just a... It, yeah, it's just a free-for-all. I so guess. let me go back um, to... And so she, right? So she, in the beginning of the thing, she said, drunkenness, overnight stays in motels, naked right, right. swimming, whatever. So nothing's changed. So, yeah. But it actually... I mean, this, the 1959 orgy from this, like, community sounds way raunchier than what you did. So it's like, well, you sound like you were just hanging out with a bunch of dudes. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's more low-key, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they're really, I mean, but it's also like there's like 20 of them in class. You yeah, know that's I mean? kind of so, weird, too, where it's just 20 people. I mean, you'd go, if like, it was like, a, there was like 100 and something, or two, or no, there's like 230 or whatever, my graduated class. But if there was 20 and we all knew each other so well, we'd been sitting in the same classroom for that long, mm-hmm. you're probably going to do way crazier things. 
because you all know each other so well. Man, that would can't, make way more sense. How can a, a whole community not take a handle on 20 kids? I mean, let's let's be realistic here. Yeah, I thought, kids, I thought it was kids. like there's like actual orgies and like they're like down by the river like getting smashed and there's like huge parties, but it's literally like 20 kids. 20 kids, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It can't be that hard. No. But her advice to, I mean. She's wrong. Ricky she's just wrong. wrong. She's just wrong about this one. I agree. It doesn't need to be an all night thing. That's just dumb. Well, but it's going to be an all-night thing anyway. The Rickety, the Rickety Rickers of the world can say all they want. Don't, you know, there's no reason for you to be out that okay. late. Okay. Well, you if know. you went to Daniel's, yeah. what time did you go to bed? I, I Probably immediately. I don't even, I, honestly, I don't even remember what happened. I'd have to ask them what we did because we were just hanging out there. And I remember we were being like, okay, this is boring. Like, there's, it's like being at like, a, it's being at like a thousand times smaller than Disneyland with like small little games and stuff and like. Girls at are like, taking pictures at, for Instagram everywhere, and I'm just kind of like... At first sober oh night, God. you're saying. Yeah. But once you got to Daniel's house, you just went straight to bed. You just wanted to go sleep somewhere else, just not the floor of the gym. Right. I, yeah. no, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I was like falling asleep. Yeah, I don't blame you. I agree. Plus, I, I, had just, I had just been out of a relationship, so I think I was just going like... I thought this was going to be wild and crazy, but it's not. And then, yeah. like, and then you can't leave for a while, so you're like, oh my God. Yeah, I don't think you we know. had a sober... We might have... I think we had a sober night, but I didn't go. Right. I was very anti everything though, so it doesn't. Yeah. I was. Well, me too. Until very, a month after, uh, before um, senior year, or a month before school ended. Very. Nineties. Before the nineties started. Yeah. That was me. <laughs> Boohoo. All right. Well, that was a good. I think that was a better episode than the one that we uh, plowed through in your. Yeah, apartment for sure, for sure. with all the clickety clacking and stuff and yeah, we the, had lots of audio issues last time but we were all we good did. now and we're just just over an hour so it's perfect perfect all right well i'm glad we got this redone let's try yeah. to get this up soon everybody thanks for listening and thank you for listening to the I almost la pe- podcast almost la podcast yeah. i know people are listening um i would love for people to write a review um even if it's constructive criticism we will welcome anything we need to hear at especially this point. if it's a constructive criticism don't just yes. don't just tell us that we're awesome because we know that we have many things to fix no i'd like to know like if people are interested in the in the segments that we have or if they want right. to hear different stuff or what's going on first of and, all if you've uh, made it this far congratulations thank you very much <laughs> yeah if you and, could listen and if you if anything you... <laughs> about the dynamic between us the the way that we organize our our segments if you like the segments if there should be more or less segments please let us know or you'd like to hear something specific i'm happy yeah. to research whatever because exactly. i have a long list of stuff and i could easily do anything because anything is cool to me so. and i'll make dumb jokes about anything that there, she talks there about you go. so it's perfect all right thanks guys thanks for listening thank you for listening bye